Hello and welcome to episode 33, I think, of Horus Heretics. I'm Neil. I'm William. And today we will be talking about two stories in... What's the book called, Will? <laughs> uh, Age of Darkness. Age of Darkness, something like that. We'll be looking at The Last Remembrancer by John French and Rebirth by Chris Reit. Um I have a bit of a mea culpa here. We're only covering two largely because I couldn't get the reading done in time because of a sort of drastic housing issue, which meant I had to find a house to live in and move into it in about a day. So uh, here I am. I've succeeded in that, but I've not succeeded in reading another (laughs) chapter of this book. Um, One thing seemed to take precedence over the other, I'm afraid, but um, I have got two read. If sound quality is bad... It will probably remain bad for the next couple of months until I get something more permanent, but uh, hopefully it won't be too bad and um, we'll work through it. But the, the upside, or I suppose downside, depending on how you look at it, of that is that the next episode will be a bumper uh, a bumper short story episode of like Shit. four or something. <laughs> um, Am I going to have to read four of these? <laughs> Um, yes, yes. So everyone can look forward to that behemoth episode coming next time. Um, Will, you sent me a text message earlier on about uh, it's that time of year again. <laughs> well, um, long-time listeners might remember some <laughs> some of our special episodes from from last year when uh, which were recorded when Neil was um, up here visiting in Aberdeen and. Uh, one of those in particular resulted in the death of the Chaos God Corn um, in our <laughs> sort of fan fiction that, that we came up with. Um, but that was prompted by this thing that I think Black Library does every year, which is issue, which is pretty cool. They issue a um, open call for submissions um, of of story ideas, um, and this year they've they've just released it, and the theme this time is like horror because I think we've talked about it a couple of times. They seem to be sort of acknowledging that their setting can sort of house different types of genre fiction and they're sort of actively having a kind of horror brand and a sort of um, noir detective crime brand as well so this one's all focused on their horror um, and yeah I'm like as soon as I saw it as I think every time I've ever seen this call I'm like yeah I'm definitely submitting something to that <laughs> um, I think with minimal retooling we have a horror story. We didn't write it with that intention, you know, the sketch out of the death of Corn. But he's the blood god. If you're gonna kill the blood god, it's gonna be hor- horrific. I think, like, I was looking at the way they they sort of had some guidelines for you know how to do a submission, and they kind of said, um, you know, think about it being one of these four types of horror, and it was like, uh, like survival horror. Um, it was like gothic horror. Uh, psychological horror and cosmic horror and I think it would be yeah relatively easy to turn our story into psychological or cosmic horror um, but it kind of is I'm cosmic not- horror a little bit already but um, I think it would be really funny if um, in our submission we described it as all of those things <laughs> <laughs> we've created the fifth type of horror <laughs> <laughs> we didn't want to leave anything out it's the perfect story <laughs> Uh, uh, what yeah what were we saying oh yeah we'll try and work up some story if we have time into a submission yeah and then we'll be famous writers i think that's how it works <laughs> i dare say that well yeah whether that happens or not i dare say 
this submission will cause something to happen at some point that <laughs> will be heard by the listeners of this podcast. Um, so yeah, there, there's that. Um, yeah. Uh, other than that, well, obviously, you've been busy, Neil, with things. Um, I took a little bit of an opportunity to read another some of another sci-fi book. It was one that it was the second in that series by Anne Lecky about um, the oh, yeah. the Ancillary series, and like um, there was just an absolute belter of a line that like I'm sure it wasn't written in this way, but it was like a. Um, it was like a total burn on just like a common sci-fi thing of like, <laughs> it's like basically saying this like, so like tea is a big deal in in the empire that sort of is the setting for this those books and um, and like set you know quite like they like having fancy ceremonial tea sets and stuff and then um, the so they're they're going to this planet and are like basically like. Uh, <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, this this um, planet was a big grower of tea, but you know other things too because like planets are big. And I, <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, I was like, yeah, it uh, totally seemed like a um, totally seemed like that was getting that like you know it's a very common thing in sci-fi of this you know just a planet is one thing you know what I mean a planet has... Every, everything is a uniculture whatever <laughs> whatever that thing is it is everything is so sort of machine-like that everything is like has its division of labor and stuff yeah but yeah like rather because and just in the world of like interplanetary sci-fi that often happens that a planet just ends up having kind of one facet whatever exactly it is you know in terms of like it is an agricultural planet or it is you know um uh so yes anyway that was i thought that was funny um yeah but uh yeah anyway let's go with these stories let's go on to uh, a not funny story the last remembered sir by john french Okay. Um, do you want to start this one off, Will? Yeah, okay. So this was a pretty short one, and, and I thought it was... Well, we'll get to that, I guess. I thought it was really good. Um, it was a belter. Yeah. And uh, so we have... Um, there's an intruder ship enters the... Well, not a, you know, an unknown ship enters the solar system. Um, uh, the... Well, basically... Um, Imperial. Do you want me to take the start of this? <laughs> <laughs> yes, please do. So, uh, an invader ship enters the the Terra, the Sol system, the home um, uh, solar system of the Imperium, and it is immediately boarded by Imperial fists. They are the Legion, led by Rugaldorn, who are defending Terra in the upcoming. Uh, battle for you know the the palace of humanity and they um, go through the ship and they find locked a a huge locked door which is obviously um, you know setting off alarm bells in their heads and inside they find who they know to be the last remembrancer Um, well they don't know that at that time but he turns out to be a a remembrancer of the the order of remembrancers um, called Solomon Voss and he is taken to Titan, to a, uh, a prison, a sort of secret prison. Um, and Dorn, Rugal Dorn, is being ferried there, um, along with some unknown Grey Knight, unknown at the minute. Do we know who the Grey Knights are as yet, Will? Should we discuss that? I don't... Yeah, I, I don't know how much they've... Imbri- or are they still meant to be in their sort of embryonic... 
Yeah, so the, the, the Grey Knights were born as a, a legion. Well, they're not a legion, but as a thing. Uh, during the heresy, uh, Malkador created them as Knights Errant. And they were created from uh, Nathaniel Garrow, um, this guy here, who will have his big reveal soon, who were all from different traitor legions, but who were loyal to the throne and who sort of gave up their allegiance to their own legion and fought as, you know, knights errant, knights without a lord, and um, were sort of formed by Malkador into this uh, union called the Grey Knights, uh, dedicated to fighting all warp monsters and shit like that. Yeah. Um, I kind of find it funny how these like special legions just get set up to do like the exact same thing as all the other space marines do. But, <laughs> yes. Um, and even though all the other space marines did exactly the same in the exact same way, and we've also complained about how they were given gimmicks that were too close to each other, and even then these authors thought we need more we need more groups of the same people doing the same thing it's like their gimmick is just to have the core thing that all the space marines have but without any additional gimmick you know what i mean so they they can have can have come from any of the gimmick groups but they all share the the same thing of like their goal is to kill aliens and (laughs) demons or is it demons specifically with grey knights is that what they're about is it like yeah 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 exactly and um yeah so when they're being introduced down the aisle by you know the the wrestling promoter um the the commentators are all just like oh look at him he's so serious he's he, he's got none none of the charm of the rest of them <laughs> he's got none of the sort of comedic sense of nonsense he's so stoic and yeah although not to be not to not initially my favorite group i have to say and maybe in some way jarring with that characterization to Presumably, your delight and my delight. Um, Here it is. It, it emerged that this uh, gentleman was uh, Iacton Cruz, once of the Sons of Horus, who we thought was absolutely um, filled with humour. Um, you know, in terms of <laughs> the, his character being just the, the curmudgeon figure, the sort of like mm-hmm. steptoe or. <laughs> 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 or, or something. Yeah. Uh, it was just like, oh, you know, um, maybe old man stepped to a cruise. That's good. <laughs> just like you know, he's always just like, old. <laughs> it's always just like you know, in my day, um, I, you know, I, I, things were different, and you know, it was yeah. it was just so weird in the setting. But now he's a big sort of badass demon hunter, I guess. Um, I guess, and but in this story, none of that curmudgeonly thing I think really comes through. No, no. He's different now. Um, but it is like, it's a super short story. Yeah. Um, and so maybe like all, you know, motions towards characterization and stuff have really all just been cut away in favor of the plot, which is fine, I think, in this situation, because the plot was really quite interesting. And he probably, we, we can imagine that after this, you know, he got back to, to Terra and like got home and, you know, put his slippers on. So Dorn is on a ship going to Titan and he's talking with Cruz. And he's just like, um, if it hadn't been for my soldiers finding this guy, would you have told me about him? Like, with this entire uh, sort of facility of, uh, of jail cells for enemies of the Imperium, would, he have, would that still have existed without him ever knowing about it? So it's all about, like, Dorn 
secrets being kept from Dorne because there are some secrets that you know mankind must do that are sort of um, against the finding principles of the Imperium. But because of the extreme circumstances of the heresy, they have to sort of do away with a few of those. And in order to keep Dorne pure and, you know, in, in order to do what they must do, they have to keep some secrets to the Primarch. Yeah, and we've seen various other sort of secret agencies like the Assassins, obviously, um, yeah. kind of operating outside of the sort of um, Space Marine command structure, if you like. Um so yeah, they they come and um, step into the cell and meet uh, Solomon Voss. So basically, the rest of the story is kind of like they'll go into the cell for a bit, and uh, they'll go uh, back out and kind of have a chat amongst themselves about what's going on. Um, the most the most uh, appalling exposition happens whenever Dorn and Ayakton Cruz disappear for a while and talk with each other because it's just. You know, it is a complete plot explanation and didn't really need to be done because uh, the subtext of the the other parts of the story when Sullivan Voss appeared worked perfectly well. Uh, I wonder if they just didn't give their readers enough credit, perhaps, in this story, or maybe it was just far too short without these things. Um, but I think it would have worked fine without. So, yeah, Voss is like, he's the... So he's like the, the ultimate remembrancer, essentially, um, as in he was involved in setting up the order. Um, he was himself a you know renowned uh, writer, I think. Uh, I don't know if he had a, other... Uh, yeah, it was like a novelist almost, or maybe a playwright. Uh, but like he knew Dorn, and he vaguely remembered Cruz. So he was like high up and was well regarded by the sort of hierarchy at the time and they in questioning him they they're sort of like what um what are you doing on this ship you know it's not just you were locked on this traitor ship we need to get to the bottom of this and that's what all of those discussions are all about yeah so they're trying to figure out was he did he was he loyal to horus essentially or what was he doing out there and the story uh that emerges from him basically is that uh, he, when the heresy broke out, there was an act of what was it, an act of dissolution? They called it of the remembrancers. Yeah, and basically, so all these remembrancers, you know, that we'd seen in the earlier stories, had been sort of embedded in the um, various fleets around the the universe. They were they were disbanded, and uh, but he. And as if, like, the discussion being, like, you know, this uh, war between, you know, brothers or whoever they, they call it, this, like, civil war was not for, were not something that people would want to, you know, it was not a glorious thing that they would want to remember. And, um, but he was like, well, this is what he does, you know, he should, they should be out there uh, mm-hmm. making a record of this. So he kind of, so he goes and goes back to Horace and Horace sort of, um, kills a bunch of his friends and stuff, but keeps him alive. And basically, he uh, he keeps Solomon alive, shows him everything that he's doing, all the atrocities, all the horror, and then basically sends him back because he knows that the story that he has to tell will be destructive to the Imperium. 
it's another weapon that he's using in uh you know the pursuit of the destruction of the imperium um and what Voss has done is again write a book more book writing um so yeah and the the decision i think that has to be made is um again Voss sort of lays it all out that in order to win this war which might happen you, you know the imperium might win it but if they are to do it they have to discard all of the things that have made them the imperium and you know everything that they've done that has made them proud that they value will have to be jettisoned in order to fight this nasty grubby horrible war and he's written all of this in the book and but he says that he knows that the book will probably never be seen because the imperium can't risk these truths being spoken aloud and so it's up to Dorn to decide what to do with him in this jail cell. Yeah, can I just point out, uh, yeah, so that he was, he's actually been writing stuff in the jail cell because they provided him with some writing materials. And um, I'm pretty sure there's a point at which they, they fetch him a cup of spiced tea as well upon his request. I was like... Oh, lovely. Yeah, so I, I thought this was what was really good about this because when that was kind of the story was like, you could, you could see a, a sort of war and terror subtext in this with that kind of thing of like, you know, to fight this war, you know, that kind of argument that people would make of, you know, we have to abandon our ideals and whatnot, sure. you know, and like um, the, and that's kind of how it's set up here as if, um, yeah, this will destroy, and I was like, I was like, well, that's kind of, uh, yeah, it's quite a good story, but like, there was part by its central premise. <laughs> well, the part, yeah, exactly. The part of me in the background was just thinking, well, as we well know, the Imperium were like total bastards before this as well. And then, yeah. but then actually, like, so Dorn's kind of taking this all in. And that's actually the conclusion that he comes to, basically. He says, so, so it says, Cruz steeled himself and asked the question he had feared to ask since they had left Voss's cell. You fear that he is right, that the ideals of truth and illumination are dead. Um, and 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 Doran says, no, I act on Cruz. I fear that they never existed at all. Um, yeah. So I was like, I was really pleased at that because I was just before that thinking, uh, it's kind of, they haven't really dealt with the fact that, you know, the Imperium was shit before this. And, and so the, the decision that is made at the end, which is, uh, which makes that line even more interesting, is that... Um, Dorn decides to uh, kill Solomon Voss and burn the book. So the realization that Dorn has gone through is that, yeah, maybe we have been shit all along. Um, and the, his choice was to accept that and do something about it or to hide his head in the sand. And he chose to hide his head in the sand. Yeah. yeah. Which is a really, uh, it's a, a super interesting point to take. And to just leave the story there. That's that's what I want from a short story. Was like just like little explosion, just like fucking dude with this. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I really really enjoyed that. This one was about her. It was like yeah, it felt like you know a lot of a lot of the times these books try to deal with like big ideas and often fall short. Um, this this like felt in a really simple story, but mm -hmm. it felt quite 
weighty, you know, like like it was really kind of, you know, saying something quite interesting about this this universe and the and the characters within it, and um, yeah, I really really liked it. Um, yeah. So, the next one is Rebirth by Chris Rate. Yeah. So, I think this one starts with a space marine coming to, you know, sort of a. Waking up from unconsciousness, and he's bound in a chair, and we know that he's um, some sort of psyker because he says his mind and psychic senses are dulled, um, and he's he's being questioned by some sort of interrogator. And then another one of our famous cuts, as uh, the timeline is played with once again, um, the ship called the Geometric, uh, which is a superb name <laughs> I like it is a superb name for a thousand suns spaceship I was so delighted about that I was like Chris Rate knows this legion the, good on him this set me to thinking like what in my life can I call the geometric you know I don't I don't have a car <laughs> um, I don't have some sort of vehicle that, but um, I'm still thinking on it anyway yeah uh. and uh, this ship comes into orbit of like this a blasted planet with you know its surface shattered uh magma leaking everywhere and all that kind of stuff and it's in uh quiet like it's in running quiet so it's obviously trying to hide from something or other and um the guy on the on the bridge of the ship is called Callistan, a thousand sun um and he is of the uh athenian code is that uh, cult cult discipline says here cult cult discipline um uh, and he seems to be in charge uh but uh, his second is this guy called uh, arvida who's a corvide and he um they are that cult uh, sees the future yeah and he asks arvida like do you have any senses about anything um and he says no it's uh, it's not as easy as it used to be and there's some sort of sad recognition between the two whereas they go, no, it's not anymore. There's a really interesting sort of discussion here uh, between these two because normally space marines are like, no matter the danger, let's go down and kill some shit. Uh, but Callistan, like basically gave Arvida a way out of going down to the surface. He said, this is going to be pretty bad. The augurs all don't bode very well. If you don't want to go down there, you can stay here. Yeah. And Arvida sort of says, no, but uh, if you say it's fine, then it's fine. And we find out that the planet that they're surrounding is, in fact, Prospero, their home planet, which we just read about being destroyed very recently. Yeah. Um, so these were, these turn out to be some of the Thousand Suns that were sent away by uh, Magnus before the the battle commenced on Prospero basically um, so they've missed the whole thing um, but they, at a certain point they stopped getting having communications with Prospero and so they've, they've come back to see what's going on um, so and so, so yeah the story kind of cuts back between that narrative and the narrative of um, which you know of um, him being interrogated by this other space marine who kind of yeah, is the, taken- the guy be the guy being interrogated is Callistan. Yeah, sorry, Callistan. Yeah, and this his interrogator is taking real 
uh, relish in sort of <laughs> having this thousand son at his disposal and his um but he's trying to like um he wants something out of him but it's it's not totally clear what but he's uh he's taking real relish in the in the situation and and the assumption is that he is a, a space wolf and uh but Colliston is like uh, he feels he feels his his energy is coming back, his psychic energies, and he's like, "If I can keep this going long enough, I think I can break myself free from here, basically." You know, and anything, and he and he can feel the emotion in the interrogator's, you know, voice and 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 the way he's acting, and it's like, "I can turn this to my advantage." And so he 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 tells him of a lot of the tales that we see about in the other timeline, and tries to enrage this space wolf into just battering him basically but also that will essentially you know stringing him along with with stories about what happened on prospero and why he was there and stuff will um prolong his life in order for his psychic ability to build and stuff like that um what is the what's the most important stuff to touch upon um about their their actions on Prospero. Well, basically, they get down and they, um, I think they get like a a signal from somewhere or something, and they, they well they see that they see the whole ruin of the place. So, um, and they see some like, a, some sort of graffiti, that's been like seen graffiti that's been that's daubed right. by like uh, space wolves. And I really like that um, that point where it was just like, they'd seen everybody. They'd seen like charred rib cages and bones and stuff like that, um, but they were, they also remarked about the obscene graffiti being left as if like it's just another kick in the balls, an unnecessary sort of relish in their suffering. It's it was really really good. Yeah, and they saw like and they saw like as well as that just like sort of space wolf runes marked and things and stuff, and mm. um, they they kind of separated into into two groups I think and they basically get ambushed which is announced by someone's head exploding um, which is yeah they, on a number of occasions some some different folks head and shoulders disappear yeah <laughs> in sort of puffs of dust and, and blood and stuff it's quite it's quite a common way of combat beginning in these books <laughs> um, yeah and uh, so they get kind of ambushed and then they all well most of this then takes place from I think from Arvida's point of view and basically mm. so like you've got Caliston with a bunch of with a, there's only like about nine of them down there and they're getting killed pretty quick um, Caliston sort of ends up being on his own so you think I, I'm not sure if it actually shows him getting captured but um, you certainly can see how it ended up happening and then Arvida he kills a couple of them and it turns out they're they're not space wolves they're world eaters yeah, that was sort of the the end of uh, a sort of a, a slight cliffhanger bit at the end of Arvida's bit, where he was like, "Oh, they're actually world eaters," and then it cuts to Callistan in custody, and he finds the same thing. Uh, he enrages one of the world eaters so much that the world eaters like, just starts griefing him about like, "You think you know so much, but you're actually an idiot. You don't know anything." And he turns on the lights, and Callistan goes, "Oh." they're actually world eaters um 
<laughs> it does um, comment on how stupid of a name he thinks that is, <laughs> and I was like, Kaliston, you're you're my you're my dude, here. you're my man." Um, and he's actually been held captive by Karn, who we've met a few times before. He's the craziest of the lot. He used to be one of the the ones who could sort of keep some form of like legion unity together. Now he's just absolutely insane, and. Uh, he, because Karn says that uh, the Thousand Sons like truth and stories all so much, he says he will tell him the story um, of the heresy and everything like that. So Calston clearly doesn't know anything about that. So Calston's find out about the heresy, about the betrayal, about Magnus's uh, betrayal of his sons to chaos, and all of that stuff. And he is just like. As you would expect, um, sort of unmoored from all of the, you know, the, the lodestones of his life, if you know what I mean. Um, but in trying to stay alive, he says that um, he can heal Karn of his total madness. Um, yeah, and they, well, they've obviously got the, the world eaters have the like things implants in their head. Um, but he's also well, there's also a lot of signs of him being sort of chaosed up by this point, you know. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, he gives and, yeah this kind of way out, if you like. And and he thinks about it, but then uh, he in the end he's enraged by it. Um, and but Caliston, as he's like punched into oblivion, like there is a very nasty death scene for him. But halfway through it, he sort of realizes that I think I think this is right. That the the one thing that Karn can't really accept anymore is pity, because um, he can see his own fall. You know, he can see what he has become by going over to chaos. That he is now nothing more than a homicidal maniac. He still has that little bit left in him that can see what he used to be and compare it to what he is now. So, yeah, basically the, he is a reminder of everything that he's lost and, and what he can't get back. And then there's a really a, a kind of silly bit at the end where Caliston, just before a fist is put through his face, he realises that that thought will haunt Karn for the rest of his time, you know, time alive. And I just sort of went, well, that's a bit silly. That didn't need to, to happen. But um, Arvida is left alive. Um, and doesn't that's how the story ends? Yeah, he it? just kind of, he kind of runs off. Um, it just disappears into the shadows on on Prospero. And, and he knows, like, he's because he's, he can see the point of his own death. He basically, he's on the run from these world eaters on his own. Um, but he knows that he's not about to die. Which kind of yeah. gives him the impetus to, um, to to push himself on, and he disappeared off in the shadows. So um, I assume he'll maybe pop up again at some point. But overall, that one was was pretty good as well. Yeah, I agree that like the thing about like Karn having that opportunity just doesn't quite wash really. Like you know, like um, I'm sure that yeah, um, he's in the course of his you know just what everything that's happened. I'm sure he's had. You would imagine that he'd had more wrenching moments than than that, you know, given that this was like yeah. 
just some dude from a, just like a normal space marine from another legion that basically said I can help you out. Um, yeah, and yeah, like, you're right. Um, but it, but overall, it was like it was still yeah, still pretty. What good. it did, uh, I I didn't quite sort of buy it, but the the sort of underlying message of um, a legion not being able to uh, admit what they had become. You know, you can sort of tie it back to Dorn's decision, not being able to look at the situation honestly and admit that the Imperium was like a bag of shite to start off with. Yeah. In the same way, this Legion can sort of look at themselves and and uh, try to seek assistance or seek help in order to, you know, reverse the course of their chaos flesh change. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting one. What is like? Because actually, like now, now that I'm thinking about it, we we didn't mention quite an important thing, which is that the world eaters. Well, the the Karn says to the says to Caliston that they're looking for. What is it? It's like some wolf symbol or something that had been used to, that Magnus had used to reach Horus, and Horus has sent yeah. them here to find this so it's so that so no one can use it in any way against him um, I th- yeah i i thought that was a silly bit so i didn't <laughs> mention it it's it basically uh, uh magnus had used that thing whatever it was i can't quite remember what it was um in order to contact horus i think it would have been you know during that ceremony where he tried to warn horus uh about his impending fall to chaos um and because it's been touched by both it has a sort of sympathetic resonance or something that could be used to reach Horus again and so they had been sent by Horus in order to remove it from the battlefield almost to destroy it to to uh, remove that chink in the defense um, if you see what I mean it didn't seem to fit in the story that so like we removed it. We didn't talk about it, and I don't think it affected the story whatsoever. I guess it was just there as the reason why they were oh, on Prospero. Yeah. Like, but um, what was, the way that like Callistan said he could sort of fix, uh, you know, make things better for Karn was it was something to do with them being on Prospero, and like there was some some sort of power he could invoke there, wasn't it? I can't remember specifically yeah. what it was. Well, I mean. I- he um, he said that he thought he saw through Karn's explanation of why they were there. And he said, I don't buy that at all. I think you're here because we are masters of learning and all that kind of shit. And what you're after is anything that might have been left behind that you can use to fix yourself. Well, I'm here. I can help fix right, you. Right. I think it was just more like he has the knowledge of all of the different cunning mechanisms of Tizka and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think that's what it was. Okay, cool. Um, I would say, like, the last remembrance, or I can't, I can't say I really remember all the short stories from the previous collection that well, but I'm pretty sure that's the best one from both this collection and the last collection in terms of just... It is actually really short um, mm-hmm. and, and does a lot with that in that short space and doesn't... Um, I mean, yeah, like you said, there's maybe a few bits that are just sort of exposition, but on the whole, it doesn't outstay its welcome and was good. And this this other one was was pretty good as well. Um, so, 
yeah, that was that was a fun little short episode. Um, that was by John French, John the last remembrancer. So yeah. let's give let's give props to, good, good to Mr. Really French, Caesar, the credit. Um, uh, yeah. So um, I guess this is going to be a short episode because we've only done um, two stories, um, but we'll end it as we normally do by thanking all our listeners. Um, you can reach us at horseheretics at gmail dot com. Um, we really enjoy hearing from you and uh, encourage you to get in touch about anything. So, on that note, sorry, Neil, before we end, we did get an email from a listener this week that pointed us towards um, some like cartoons that were like a sort of fan thing um, of uh, that that has been kind of approved by the Games Workshop, and it was basically like the the gimmick was that it was like. Um, three space marines from different legions and there's a little girl that they're trying to like train up basically and like they're just sort of like three panel comics and all end with the punchline of like uh, which I actually thought they were they were pretty funny but they were undoubtedly like total like deep cuts you know what I mean <laughs> like, <laughs> you had to, you have to you have to be within the the Warhammer understanding world to actually get anything out of these because it was just kind of like um, like one of them was like I can't believe you're teaching a little, that little girl how to use guns. You should train her in melee combat first. <laughs> Which was actually quite funny, I thought. Like, um, there were some quite funny ones, but yeah. But they were they were really good. They're like, yeah, just fan web comics. And um, I guess like fan web comics are going to be deep cuts by their very nature, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I um, know. Yeah, just like, it's just that the, the format of it is like something that would appear in a, you know, a daily newspaper um, I know, but really, I really thought that was kind of fun. It like was, it was. It like was. Peanuts comic strip almost. Yeah, you can you can find that at if you Google "Band of Battle Brothers Warhammer Community," you'll find that. So yeah, cool. Uh, so if there's nothing else, uh, I'll sign out then. Uh, thanks everybody for listening, and uh, hope you will be back in two weeks' time. Yep. See you then. Bye.